This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this next installment of our Expert Investor Series. Yes. We often talk about hating fees on the podcast. We do. And we're speaking to someone who manages a business that shares a similar philosophy, I feel. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) We have Robert Francis joining us on the show today, who is the Managing Director of eToro Australia. Before we get into a bit of a background on Robert, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. So before Robert joined eToro in 2017, he worked for 13 years in retail currency trading and CFD markets. He's also worked for Australia's leading online stockbroker, Commonwealth Securities or Comsec, where he ran the exchange traded options desk as well as the international trading desk. He's worked for leading companies in the financial market such as TD Waterhouse, Astley and Pierce and Exco International. And he holds a Bachelor of Business from Curtin University in Australia. So huge wealth of experience. And we're very much looking forward to unpacking some of that as well as what's going on over at eToro. So ready to get stuck in, Robert? I am indeed. So, Robert, we like to start with a bit of a game, and we've got a bit of a twist on it, given that you're the managing director of eToro, and we were doing a bit of research on eToro before this episode. We read that eToro has over 5,000 assets to trade on their platform. We want to play a bit of a game with some of the assets that can be traded on eToro. We're calling the game overvalued or undervalued. We're going to throw out one of the assets and we want to get your thoughts on it, if it's overvalued or undervalued currently and potentially why you think that. So are you up for playing? You sure am. All right. Let's give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start local and we'll start with the, the major Australian index. So overvalued or undervalued, the ASX 200 index? Oh, I want to say overvalued, but I think it's undervalued. I only say one, want to say it's overvalued because of the simple fact that I think that we're heading somewhere along the line what's going on internationally where you've got an increase in COVID-19 numbers now starting out of the US, which I think is going to, to see some of those markets fall away a little bit. And we know that the ASX tends to follow what's happening internationally. However, I think that uh, given the current circumstances here in Australia, the way we've managed to control our environment around COVID-19, I feel that it's not going to fall away very much. So as a result, I think it's undervalued. So moving overseas, overvalued or undervalued, the NASDAQ 100? Again, I want to say overvalued. (laughs) And this is crazy to say, considering that they hit record highs, I think it's still undervalued and and for the same reason. I mean, we saw what happened in March when COVID-19 hit the States and then we saw the equity markets take a tumble in the US. The stocks that kind of rebound first were those that were the FANG stocks, the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Apples, the Netflix, the Googles, the Microsofts. I think that, you know, we have another occurrence like this, not a second wave in the US, but just a continuation of the first wave. They're the stocks that people are going to jump 
into because they've got a lot of cash behind them. They're gross stocks, and it really shouldn't be the case. Yeah. But the reason behind it is they've got a lot of cash. For context, we're recording this on Thursday the 11th of June. And Robert, at the start of the year, we always like to do a bold prediction episode where mm-hmm. we throw out a bunch of bold predictions. And one of Ren's or Alex's bold prediction was that we would see a $2 trillion company by the end of 2020. And I saw today that Apple is zooming ahead at $1.53 yeah. <laughs> trillion. And Microsoft at $1.49 trillion I mean, as well. <laughs> can it go any higher? <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, yeah. I, I <laughs> Your prediction may not be that far off, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was extremely bold at the start of the year, but we might have two by the end of the year. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and Amazon to follow shortly. Yeah, yeah, and, and Alphabet just ticked over a trillion as well. So there's a, there's a lot of money out there. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Moving to a different asset class, but one that has attracted a lot of money over the last few years, and one that can also be traded on eToro. Overvalued or undervalued Bitcoin? Undervalued. The reason why I say undervalued is, first of all, uh, we're starting to see more acceptance in relation to Bitcoin. We've got the German Financial Authority, the BaFin, announced in March of this year that they would officially recognize cryptocurrencies as financial instruments. Uh, We've now got the first... uh, cryptocurrency, the BTCE. It is the crypto, uh, Bitcoin exchange traded product that's going to be launched on the German exchange very shortly. I think that you know, there's a growing acceptance, particularly around Bitcoin. It's a, it's a limited asset like gold, you know, limited supply. So as a result, I think that there is still a lot of legs in Bitcoin and we can very well see 20,000 again. Wow. Wow. Well, luckily, yeah. uh, luckily we're both have the smallest exposure to Bitcoin. <laughs> last time Alec bought Bit- last time Alec bought Bitcoin, he bought it right at the peak yeah, in yeah, 2018. Yeah. So, <laughs> so maybe that's a sell signal. <laughs> Let me know when you're selling, and I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> now, Robert, you have some pretty extensive experience in the currency side of things. So, overrated or underrated, the US dollar. US dollar at the moment, uh, overrated or underrated, I think it's still got a way to fall. I think that given the conditions currently in the US, I could see a declining US dollar for the next few, well, for the next few weeks, possibly the next few months. You've got a trade war possibly coming up with China. Donald Trump is, is looking to get re-elected in November. He wants to point the finger at somebody for what's happened in regards to COVID-19. If you see a continuation of that, in the US of what we're seeing now arise in Texas and some of the other southern states because they re- reopened very quickly, then I can see some more finger pointing, some more name calling, and I can see a lot of problems. I think if there's one extremely not bold prediction we can make is that US mm-hmm. politics is going to have a lot more name calling and finger pointing <laughs> before November 2020. <laughs> <laughs> A bit of a follow-up question to that, Robert, because I know Mm -hmm. a lot of our audience who are very early in their investing journey think about Mm -hmm. currency. Is a declining US dollar something that you should be concerned about or consider at such an early stage in your investing journey? Or is it something that you need to be considering when you're really playing with large sums of money? No, I think, look, at the end of the day, it depends on where you're looking to invest. If you're looking to invest in the Australian market, you're dealing with stocks where they derive their revenue within Australia, then the US dollar is something that you're not going to be concerned about. If, however, 
you're, you know, you're investing in Australian shares that derive income from the US, mm. you know, the CSLs, uh, the Westfields and things like that, or Centre Group rather, not Westfield, then of course that's something that you need to consider. And certainly if you're looking to invest offshore, like most of our investors who are trading international shares are trading the US market. Mm. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I bought Netflix, for example, when Netflix was, you know, had declined over March and started to come back up. I bought it in Australian dollars. I've got a profit in Netflix, but when you convert it back to Australian dollars, it's a loss. All right. So I think this is when you've got to be concerned about where the dollar is headed, because obviously a weakening US dollar is a strengthening Australian dollar or vice versa, depending on what's occurring. So in our particular case, if we're going to see a weakening US dollar, that's great. Then the Australian dollar will continue to rise. It's not too much of an issue, depending on how far you think it's going to rise. But if you look at where the um, the Aussie dollar was trading against the US back in March, because that was when it was a risk-off event, everybody was getting out of shares, everyone was getting out of currencies, particularly a currency like the Australian dollar, the Aussie dollar fell to 57 cents. It's now rebounded to, what, just below 70 mm. That's what caused my loss. I've seen a, a 13 cent movement in relation to my investment offshore, and mm. it's resulted in the loss, even though I've got a profit in Netflix. Mm. So, Robert, we've got a couple more asset classes that we'll just punch through really quickly. The mm-hmm. next one is the historic hedge against uncertainty and against inflation. And we've obviously mm-hmm. seen a lot of uh, money printing going on by reserve banks around the world. So, overvalued or undervalued gold? Undervalued for exactly the reasons that you just mentioned. A lot of money money printing going on in the world. We've got a situation, I think, right now where, especially if we've got a second wave coming in other parts of the world, a continuation of the first wave in the US, people will flock to, to safe assets. Gold is one of those safe assets. I still think that there's a lot of legs in gold. I think that we can see at least another 10 20% increase in the value of gold over the course of even this year. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it's, it hasn't necessarily performed as you would expect it to over yeah. sort of the last 12 months or so, but yeah, keep watching. To be frank, if you look at even Bitcoin and gold, what you've just said just then, and you put those charts up against the S&P 500, they look as if they're in lockstep. Mm. Mm. So I think that you know, there's a lot of those situations that have occurred, but I think that that will change. Yeah. So to close this out, Robert, we have trawled through every single one of the 5,000 assets <laughs> on eToro. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, no, no. Bit of an obscure one that is available on the platform, and that is Coco. So overvalued or undervalued Coco? Overvalued, I'm going to say. It was high at the beginning of the year. I think it was something like three. Or $2,000, I think, uh, per metric ton. It might be $3,000 per metric ton. It's declined since then. I actually think that it's really depending on, on where it originates from, which is the Ivory Coast, which are the major producers, et cetera, weather conditions um, play an impact. But, you know, from a layperson's point of view, I mean, I'll be frank, it's not one of the assets that I look at a great deal. I was going to um, say, though, it sounds a- as though we could go through all 5,000 and you'd be, able to tell, <laughs> you'd be able to tell us something about it. I, could I mean, who knows the metric ton price of cocoa? <laughs> <laughs> That's what the hell. 
<laughs> and yes, you're right. It's about two and a half thousand at the moment. So <laughs> well, now I think yeah, it is now. <laughs> so you know, I think that you know, just from a layperson's point of view. Yeah, you know, for chocolates, it's for things like that, and people are moving away from, <laughs> from from that. They're more into health and fitness. You'd be surprised. I don't know whether you've noticed it, but certainly where I live, walking around, there's so many people out exercising nowadays. Yeah, you know, with with um, bands and all kinds of equipment that I didn't realise there were so many people into fitness. <laughs> <laughs> so short chocolate, long fitness is what is is the yeah. trade. <laughs> We'll move away from the game and we like to start these interviews by asking people about their very first investment. We find there's usually a good story or some good lessons that come out of it. So to kick us off today, uh, can you tell us the story of your very first investment? Okay. I grew up in WA. So, I mean, the first investment I had was actually um, a gold mining share. Now, I don't even remember the name of it. It was that long ago. Uh, however, it must have been a decent gold miner because it wasn't one of those penny stocks where, you know, you bought it at one cent hoping it's going to go to two cents and you doubled your money. It was trading, if I remember correctly, somewhere in the $2 range, $2.50, $2.60. And we're talking, you know, late 80s kind of thing. Anyway, this was, I thought I knew everything about it. It was going up. And then, of course, we had the 87 crash and everything went pear-shaped. The result was that um, I didn't learn to cut out my losses. I just thought that, you know, I'll ride this through. The gold miner disappeared. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. And I think the lesson, yeah, the lesson for me, I mean, it was, it was about – I think $4,000 that I'd invested in there, which is my first foray into into investing, lost it all. And the lesson I learned from there, the first loss is probably the best loss. At some point, you need to make a decision when you're investing as to what point you say, this is it. I'm not doing any further. I'm getting out of this because it's not making any sense. And I've taken this loss. And I think that's what I learned from that experience. That's not to say that I haven't still made that same mistake since then. But every time I look back, it's just a reminder. Every time it's just reinforcement of that initial trade that I made, that initial investment. Yeah, it's a super hard thing to learn controlling that emotion and Mm. that attachment you have to stocks when they are losing, particularly when they're going down in a crash as well. It's hard to remain focused on what you're trying to achieve. So yeah, to your point, it is good if it can happen early in your in your investing journey so you you understand what that feels like so robert do you have an investing philosophy that you that you sort of try and stick to when it comes to finding stocks or do you have a particular sort of theme that you that you like when it comes to building your portfolio uh, other than buying low and selling high. <laughs> <laughs> well, classic. That's a good philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. No, look, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, look, the philosophy I, I look at is that uh, the business has to make sense. It needs to be something that I can see is making money. That's not to say that I haven't invested in companies that haven't produced the profit. But when I have, I've always known that it was a gamble that I was taking a punt here and that I'd have to be prepared to lose my money if it didn't work out. But if you look at my portfolio, it's generally it's going to be in shares which are income-producing 
strong balance sheets that in the long run, I believe, are good investments and for various reasons. I also am inclined to look around and see what is out there that might be a good investment. I remember when I was growing up, one of the first books that my father gave me to read was a book by or was co-written by Peter Lynch, One Up on Wall Street. Yeah, great book. And it's about, you know, looking around you and seeing, you know, what are the investments. So you can find investments just by walking around and, and seeing what's around you. And I did that, for example, and, and you've probably heard people tell you the same kind of story, whether it be down in the pub or whether it, it be on, on your show, Afterpay, is something <laughs> that my wife first told, told me about. Um, I'd never heard of it. And then she had mentioned to me about how she had bought this dress and um, she was paying it off in four equal installments. And I was surprised there was no interest on these installments. And then she told me what it was and I looked into it. And the next thing you know, I was fortunately one of the early investors. I was also one of the early exiters <laughs> of, the, of, the, uh, of the stock. I wish I'd held on to it longer. But that was just an example of why it is worthwhile just to look around you. Yeah, absolutely. Something that we try and talk to our community about is there's a, a number of companies that probably you're engaging with on a daily basis that provide excellent investing opportunities. Afterpay mm-hmm. being one of them, and I'm an absolute fan of the Afterpay. I don't think there's any investor in Australia that wouldn't know about Afterpay. <laughs> yeah, not now. <laughs> not now. <laughs> Bryce has uh, applied that philosophy into big investments in Aristocrat and uh, Philip Morris. <laughs> <laughs> also, not true. Not, not true. <laughs> no, it's good. So, Rob, the reason we have you on today is mm-hmm. obviously to discuss some of the great things that are going on over at eToro. Mm-hmm. As we said, we try to make markets as accessible as possible to our audience and brokers are obviously one of the first sort of decision points that our, you know, you get to when you're starting out and there's a huge sort of offer now available compared to when even Ren and I started investing five or six years ago. Now we're starting to see a bit of a war on on price and brokers are also offering differentiated, I guess, add-ons, you know, social aspects and the ability to follow other traders and that sort of stuff. So if we were to say, give us the elevator pitch for eToro, you've got sort of 30 seconds in in the elevator. (laughs) What would you say for those of of our audience who aren't really aware of what eToro does? Uh, okay. <laughs> probably, no pre- no uh, pressure. probably along the lines, yeah, no pressure. 30 seconds. I mean, you can take 60 if you want, it's fine. <laughs> it's a long no, elevator. I think, yeah. <laughs> right, I think I'd probably say something along the lines of um, welcome to the world's leading social trading and investing network. Learn how to invest through the wisdom of the crowd. If you're not sure what to do, then learn from like-minded individuals through our newsfeed. Or if you're a complete novice, then copy one of our successful investors. With eToro, you can trade stocks on US exchanges commission-free. Nice. That so, would probably be it, short trip. Mate, I'm sold. <laughs> As I mentioned there, the, the social aspect, it seems that eToro really prides itself on that part of the platform. And you mentioned there, you know, the ability to copy other traders. And, and Ren speaks on the show a fair bit about investing is not, necessarily are you going to butcher this quote yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we like to say there's no points for originality it's all about making money Yeah. yeah so can you talk us through what you mean by this ability to i guess copy other traders and that social aspect of the platform 
I think this is the unique advantage that we have over a lot of other competitors in this space. It's the ability for people to, to first of all, it's not just about copying. First of all, you can have a to look at, we've got 13 million registered users worldwide. Now, you can imagine if you've got 13 million people, there's going to be a few successful investors in that in that group. It's not going to be a situation where there isn't anybody successfully trading. So the advantage you have here is that um, we obviously try and highlight those individuals that we think have good risk management skills, that have good financial mouse, if you will. They understand how the markets work. They've got a proven track record of performance. And then we can show them out to um, to our investing public, if you will, our client base. So people have the opportunity in which that they can, first of all, if you're interested in one of these traders, before you even copy them, you can follow them, which essentially means that you get alert every time that person buys an asset class, a stock, a commodity, whatever the case might be. And then if you have confidence after a period of time, you can have those trades copied. So when he makes a trade, say, to buy Apple at a particular price, the exact same trade goes on your account. You'll determine how much you want to invest to follow him or copy him. Um, so you don't necessarily have to trade with the same amount of money that he's doing a uh, trade for. You can do it for significantly less, which is obviously very useful when you're first starting out and to get comfortable and to build confidence in the person that you're copying. Now, it's not simply a case of somebody just you know, telling you this is what I do or we tell pointing out this person. You can go onto his, um, his page because what we do is that each client has the ability to have a public profile. And in that public profile, there'll be several pages that will be available. One is a news feed, similar to like Facebook. So you can ask him questions or her questions and then they can respond and you can see what they're doing and, and how they trade and the basis of their investment philosophy, et cetera. Then there is a stats page, which kind of shows things like, you know, their percentage return over the period of time that they've been with us, what stocks they like to trade or, or asset classes they like to trade, drawdowns, percentage of profits versus losses, uh, what are the frequently traded assets, things like that. So it gives you kind of all this information to decide whether this is what you, the person you want to follow. So you, if you're a, a person that's invest, interested in trading US stocks, you're not necessarily going to copy somebody who's trading currencies. Yeah. So you can see, yeah, you can see what they're doing. Then, of course, the next page is their portfolio. You can see the percentage of what they're invested in. You know, so are they invested in growth stocks, um, blue chip stocks, value stocks, etc., and make your decision from there. And finally, there is just a chart which kind of shows their performance. So there's a lot of information here. So equity mates could actually set up a portfolio and we could all have people following our dismal Correct. trades. <laughs> I just want to pick oh, up I on... hope that wouldn't be dismal. <laughs> I just want to pick up on something that you mentioned there in that you kind of vet the people that are visible to the mm -hmm. public in terms of their financial yeah. nous and their ability to pick stocks and that sort of stuff. How do you actually do that? Is it surely it's just not based on obviously the performance of their portfolio, like you calling no, these no, guys no. and no, no, the, no. The issue is, look. First of all, I should reef or or, or comment with some um, uh, narrative around what I said. Look, there are two types of people that you can copy here. I mean, you, for example, Bryce could open up an account 
put it as a public profile and start trading and Ren can start following you or copying you. Yeah, right. Um, and that's something that, you know. He does that anyway. Mates. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now he can do it in a public forum. So that's one way. The second way is what we call our popular investor program. Now, this is where we vet those clients. So what we're looking for there is those people that have a proven track record. So we will want to see your trading ability over a certain period of time, whether it be with us, whether it be elsewhere. You will then be given a grading dependent on the amount of money that you're investing. So for example, we consider you after a period of time to have the necessary experience and you're trading a sizable amount of your own money in these transactions, then you might be considered to be an elite popular investor. And in that case, that again is 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 a badge of honor, if you will, that people will know that okay, this guy is not trading on some demo account to make himself look good. He's got real money in this effort, and as a result, you know, I can see that whatever he's making or losing, it's really coming out of his pocket. So for us, we put everybody through a risk algorithm. So for example, we do offer people the ability to trade with some leverage. So if you're trading, say, you want to buy Facebook, but you don't have enough money to buy Facebook, or you want to have more bang for your dollar, you can do, say, two times leverage or four times leverage. If you're a popular investor, we reduce that ability. So we don't want people who are going out there trying to make it big on aristocrat leisure <laughs> and all of a sudden saying, look at me, I doubled my money you should be copying me, it becomes no, no, no. It's all going to be properly risk managed. So the idea is that we're really promoting responsible trading. We're looking at those investors that we feel are investing in a manner which fits in with what we think is most appropriate manner for our client base because we're interested in having clients from here till the year dot. Are there any famous investors on the platform that, like, uh, that obviously Warren Buffett's got an account, surely? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish Warren did, but we do have a we do have a portfolio which follows Warren. Oh, nice. uh, we have one. Uh, we have a portfolio that follows uh, Carl Icahn, for example. So we have different things. We have different fund managers that can come to us if they want to promote an offering that they have, their ability to invest in stocks, but they're not going to be your big name, Warren Buffetts, et cetera. I mean, they um, they wouldn't be using us. <laughs> I, I don't think Warren would do a lot of uh, online trading. I think he's probably pretty old school still. Yeah. He's still writing checks. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, who knows? Maybe the, the next Warren Buffett is right now posting their trades socially on that news feed. Yeah, who knows? I mean, that's that's the thing. You, look, we have got traders here uh, or investors here uh, who actually this is the way in which they make their living because what they're doing is that um, if you are a successful trader and we're encouraging successful trading, responsible trading, then we will pay you 2% assets under management. Wow. Um, so essentially, it's like a hedge fund manager, but you know you obviously have to be good at what you're doing because otherwise the money disappears. People say, thank you very much, but I'm out. So the idea is that we want or we're breeding successful investors stroke traders. Ren, we've got to get our portfolio up there. <laughs> we've just got to be good traders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, Robert, at the start of this episode, I mentioned that we hate fees on this podcast. Mm-hmm. One of our, our few stances that we take, and people are probably wondering why I mentioned that. So, it's it's probably worth answering that question now. Part of the reason we like eToro is you have just introduced zero commission trade on US stocks. So, you know, making it cheaper and making markets more accessible for Australian investors to invest in the biggest market in the world. Can you tell us a bit about that, you know, how you came to that? And I guess the, the follow-up question is, do you expect a similar price war to what we saw in the US, you know, with Robin Hood and all of that? Do you expect that to take place in Australia in the coming years? For the first part of your question, we launched zero commission trading in Europe back in May last year. We actually wanted to launch it globally. Unfortunately, due to licensing issues and and trying to get everything across the line here in Australia with ASIC, that wasn't possible. So it's been a year delay. What we've seen is from that launch in Europe is that there's been massive interest in regards to zero commission trading. And it's similar to what you saw when Charles Schwab initially started in the US, Robin Hood, TD Ameritrade, etc. We know that most of our clients want to trade in the US market. 80% of, of Equity trades are on the U.S. markets. So for us, it was a no-brainer to, to really bring it here into Australia because we also recognised that there wasn't that ability with a lot of companies or, or individuals, rather, to go to a company, whether it be Comsec or anyone else, and trade internationally because it was cost prohibitive. So for us, this was a great opportunity to, to bring this product, this, this opportunity to Australia. Do I think it's going to have lead to a price war? Yes, definitely. Uh, I think that right. eventually, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think that eventually, uh, look, it, it will be take time. It's not as if it's going to happen overnight. I think that people will look and see what happens here in Australia. They'll be monitoring what we do. We've certainly seen a couple of our competitors start to move in that direction, but they still have excessive fees with regards to other aspects of their business. And I'm not going to name who they are. That's not my place. But you know, I think that there will be a movement towards a more competitive marketplace and not just for US shares. I mean, it, it, the next step will be for us to launch other equity markets here in Australia. And then I think that's when you'll see the change. I'd be interested to know what you're seeing. Like, why is the Aussie market becoming a popular sort of destination for this sort of price war now? Is it because you guys and and I guess other brokers are seeing more interest from the Australian population in investing. How are we different to perhaps the European and the UK uh, and and the US market when it comes to sort of retail investors and their attitude towards investing? Well, I think you've kind of answered it yourself just then. Well, Um, Australians. (laughs) (laughs) I'll emphasise it for you. Uh, I think Australians are more keen on investing. We've grown up in an environment, whether you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s, for example, whereby you receive stock because of demutualisation of an insurance broker or Commonwealth Bank, things like that. So as a as a, a saver, you got shares. People are used to it. And people also see it in the forms of their superannuation because most of the money is invested in shares. And if you keep track of your super, you can see how things are performing, how the, how the markets are performing. So I think there's really a natural affinity for people here in Australia to invest, which is very different from, say, the UK market where we did a survey. And most people are into credit 
products, term deposits, any kind of savings, bonds, etc. Uh, or even the US market, where although you've got all these stocks got available, let's be honest, I mean, I don't know how many people can buy Amazon shares in the US at 2500 2, or Berkshire Hathaway over $200,000. So, you know, these are the kind of things that I think this incentivizes people to get involved. Whereas in Australia, you've got reasonable stocks at reasonable prices, some of them leading the field in their areas like CSL, like Afterpay, et cetera. So I think already there's a lot of interest here in investing. And that's what we've recognised. We can see that there is that interest. And all we're doing is providing people with the opportunity now to trade outside of the Australian market, which only represents 3% of the world equity market. So once zero commission trading for US stocks is bettered down and people are trading that market for zero brokerage, is there plans to expand it beyond the US? Are we going to see, you know, Australian stocks zero brokerage or... I'm hanging out for Cyprus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we already offer trading commission free on 14 exchanges already on various stocks. Australia is certainly on the cards. We know that being here, having an office here, a lot of interest here, that's certainly something that we're going to look at. Unfortunately, it's not something that can be done overnight because we're having to deal with, you know, having to pricing, having to change the way in which we hold currency for our clients here. There's a lot of development that needs to be done on our platform in order to facilitate this. But certainly, we've already started discussions around Australian equities and possibly looking at the uh, the top 200 initially and then going from there. So I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to announce something in the next, uh, hopefully before the end of the year. Save that announcement and come back <laughs> onto Equity Mates and do an exclusive uh, yeah. Equity Mates announcement. <laughs> I would be happy to do so. Oh, great. Well, we've got that on recording. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested in the psychology of zero commission trading. I'm sure you guys have great data for when uh, you're in a market, be it Australia or be it overseas, and you make that change to from a cost to trade to zero cost to trade, do you see people's trading and investing habits change as a result of that? Well, yes. I mean, I mean, I mean if you even look at the, um, if you look at what's happened in the US market over the last couple of months, everyone's saying that what's caused the market to rise is the retail investor. Mm. You know, all of a sudden people are trading and they're trying to find reasons as to why the retail investment, because if you speak to the hedge fund managers, they're all saying, no, 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 we expect that this is a, a bear market rally mm. and this is going to turn downwards and therefore we're staying out of it. You've seen Stan Drunkmiller, who's a big hedge fund manager, said that, you know, he's made a mistake by staying out of it. You can see a lot of people are. So the only rise has been from the retail investor, and there's various reasons for that. But I think that when you've got something like this where it's commission-free, when you've got the ability to buy fractional shares so that you can drip feed into your investment account every paycheck you know, and have an investment, you know, this becomes very powerful. So I certainly think that especially now when we're in an ocean of free money, in the sense that we're not going to see interest rate rise in the near future and people aren't going to be able to, to put money 
aside hoping to get two, three, four percent interest, you have to invest. You have to put it into something that's going to grow. Mm. So this is where the opportunity is. And I think that, you know, this ability to trade where it's not costing you nine dollars, twelve dollars, sixty-five dollars, and I won't name who that is, <laughs> in which to uh, purchase you know, something that might only cost you $500, you know, this is where it becomes very, very important and key to your investing. You mentioned there that there's been a big uptake in retail investors during the COVID-19 crisis and discussed off air as well, Ren and I, that there's no sports betting going on at the moment other than yes. still on the horses. So <laughs> yeah. I guess everyone instead of it is at the tab and now looking at Afterpay in and out, in and out, <laughs> trying to make a quick buck. I don't know if you have access to see, but what have been some of the highest performing positions during the crisis or some of the more popular stocks that people mm-hmm. are pouring into? Well, the popular stock, say, in February was Tesla. Everybody was jumping mm. into Tesla. Well, I saw it today. It hit $1,000 today and thousand. Fr- from yeah, a low yeah. of like three ninety eight in March or whatever it was. So that's nuts. <laughs> correct. <laughs> yeah, correct. These are the kind of stocks that, um, that they're well-known stocks. They've got charismatic figureheads. And I think that's what people are attracted to whether it be Elon Musk, whether it be Jeff Bezos, whether it be Zuckerberg, Tim Cook. You know, they look at these individuals and they either see people who are very good managers, who have got skin in the game, like Bezos does, etc., um, like Zuckerberg does, and then they are more prone to investing with them, which is the same reason that, you know, when I look at investing, I look at the same thing. If, if the owners are still involved in the business, if the CEO has got shares in the business and is buying shares, that's a company I'm interested in buying in. Mm. It's those stocks that, that people have been investing. If Trump was a stock, it'd be interesting to see how people poured into that <laughs> given his personality. If that's a, a trade, I think people yeah. are going very short on that, that's for sure. Well, it'd be a volatile stock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Robert, we mentioned earlier uh, some of the non-traditional assets that mm-hmm. eToro offers. And I think I was looking before, there's 94 different cryptocurrencies on eToro. It feels like crypto is one of these assets that that had its bubble, it crashed, and yet it's hanging around still. And you know, if you follow Bryce's Twitter feed, there's a lot of people on there who are <laughs> again not true. Who, who are betting a, a big rally in crypto. What have you seen on your platform and from eToro users in terms of interest and I guess money flowing in and out of the crypto space? When we first started in Australia, most of the people that came to us were crypto traders. And we saw a huge increase in our client numbers during 2017, during the height of the crypto market. And everything was just going in one direction, especially Bitcoin going up to us 20. And people talking about Ripple going up to who knows what numbers, some ridiculous numbers that people were quoting. Look, we still have probably around about 20, 25% of our clients that join us every month are coming here because of crypto. I'm very surprised. That is changing ever since we started making this announcement around zero commission trading. There's now more interest there. But I'm still surprised, even as, as of this year, um, that we're still seeing 25% of our client numbers. New acquisition is around crypto. It's not going to die. I think that there are people, particularly millennials, who believe that there is a place as an investment vehicle for cryptos. We ourselves believe that there is a, a place. I don't know whether all of these cryptos will be around, but I certainly think that um, something like Bitcoin, given what I described earlier with the uh, German Monetary Authority 
etc., and the more acceptance of Bitcoin as a financial product, I think that we're going to see continued interest in cryptos in the future. I was getting some serious nostalgia scrolling through your website and reading some of those names like Ethereum, <laughs> yeah. Ripple, Neo, yeah. Litecoin, yeah. all of those names that in 2017 were doing the rounds in such a big way. <laughs> Just yeah, as popular yeah, as Facebook, so. Amazon, yeah, Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Robert, before we move to wrap up the interview with final three questions that we always ask our guests, I guess it's obviously a pretty exciting opportunity for Aussie investors to be able to have access to a platform like this. Where can our audience go if they were interested in starting their journey with eToro? Uh, started the website. I mean, at the end of the day, what we'll do is um, once you register with us, there's a lot of trading tools or education centers. You can reach out to us through our customer support line to ask questions. Um, we're happy to try and educate clients. We do webinars. We're looking to do seminars very shortly once COVID-19 is done and we feel comfortable going out there and meeting our client base then we'll be doing that. Look, we're here to help. We have this vision of trying to help people grow their wealth. I mean, this is the whole basis behind this ability to, to copy successful traders is for you to learn from them and hopefully one day you're one of those successful traders. So go to our website, www.etoro.com, register. It's very simple. And then we can speak to you from there. Yeah, it's a great philosophy. You know, we're all, always about doing the best we can to educate, obviously, our audience and, and all sort of Australian investors just kicking off. So it's good to hear that you guys also share that sort of mentality and, and provide opportunity to, to do so. One final question before the final three. <laughs> <laughs> final three. As I said at the start of the show, we do a few bold predictions and uh, we'd love to hear a bold prediction from you as to how you might think the ASX will finish in 2020 or perhaps a bold prediction to do with, with a, a few stocks or a stock, perhaps Tesla, is it going to go bankrupt or, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, no, Tesla won't go bankrupt. Um, <laughs> Tesla's probably going to continue on its merry high notes because Elon Musk is also is continuing on incredible. his <laughs> <laughs> notes. Yes, exactly, yes. Uh, if anyone will bring Tesla's downfall, it'll be Elon Musk with some tweet. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so my bold prediction would be at some stage over the course of this, uh, well, before the end of the year, so the next six months, so to speak, Tesla will drop to $400 because of a tweet from Elon. Nice. I, I like, like that. that. That's a good prediction. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've got that down and we'll check in in, check in in December with you to see how that went. <laughs> so, Robert, as Bryce said, we do like to wrap with the same final three questions. And the, the first one of those is, do you have any books that you consider must-reads? And, and I guess these can be investing or otherwise. I mentioned one already, which was um, One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. I think uh, another book, certainly for somebody who is starting out in their investment learning a book or books, rather, by Jack D. Schwager, Market Wizards, New Market Wizards, Stock Market Wizards. Basically, what Jack has done is he's interviewed the top hedge fund managers from around the world to get some lessons as to how they invest, how they trade. I found this very, very good when I was first starting out on my investing journey, just to get an idea as to you know what should be the mentality, having plans in place, knowing what you're going to do, particularly around trading plans, when you're going to exit. Because exiting a market is more difficult than entering a market. Anyone can buy. 
It's knowing when to sell that's more important, whether that be to cut a loss or, more importantly, to take a profit because people tend to cut their profits very, very early. Yeah. So I think anything by, yeah, anything by Jack. In terms of any other books, Ray Dalio, our founder, Yoni Asia, has been advocating reading his books, and I've started doing the same. Uh, Ray is the co-chief investment officer for Bridgewater Associates, which is the largest hedge fund in the world. And he's got several books that aren't about trading. It's actually about the world and how we should be viewing it and what's actually happening within the world. So I think there's a couple of really interesting books there by him that are worthwhile putting on your reading list. Yeah, some great books there. Definitely recommend all of them. The next question is, what is your go-to source for investing information? All right. Well, it depends on which markets I'm looking at. So if I'm looking at the local market, obviously, I read the AFR. Um, there's another great website I go to is Livewire Markets, which I'm sure you guys have heard of. Yeah. Um, I picked up a, a couple of really good, um, well, I wouldn't call them tips. They're more investment analysts that I read and thought to myself, wow, that makes sense. I'm investing in that particular stock and it's paid off. In terms of the US market, which obviously I have a lot of interest in, particularly now with zero commission trading, <laughs> I'm looking at Seeking Alpha. I don't know whether you guys have heard of it. Yep. Yeah, good website. Yeah, very good website. That's not to say that everybody on it is good, but you will find after a period of time when you read it, the, what is the worthwhile commentary on stocks and what isn't. Because obviously some of them are just selling their services. So you need to sift through what is out there. The Wall Street Journal, I highly recommend that. I picked up a couple of um, good stocks through reading that paper just over the last month because of articles that they wrote on, on particular stocks that I, that I thought made sense and I jumped in. There are other websites, but you know, CNBC, Bloomberg, etc. But those are probably my go-to ones initially. There's only so much you can read. And I sometimes think that too much information is not necessarily good for you. What about the source of information for the cocoa market? <laughs> <laughs> that's a top secret. Uh, that's, that, yeah, well, that's, yeah. That's <laughs> Google? <laughs> You're going to see a massive uptick in people trading very obscure commodities now. <laughs> yeah, yeah something Robert, the last question to round out this interview, if you... Think back to you know your younger self when you were in WA mm -hmm. and uh, investing in your first mining stock. What advice yeah. would you give your younger self? Save more money and invest early. Look, at the end of the day, one of my biggest regrets was that I didn't put more money aside uh, to invest. Do your research. I think that that's very, very important. Look, if you get in early, uh, compound interest takes care of everything else. Uh, and that's really the gist of what investing is all about. Pick a good quality stock that you see has got growth. Understanding, of course, that you know the stocks that were the top 10, say, 20 years ago, aren't necessarily the top 10 now. So you've got to be mindful that you, know, you have to be quick on your feet and realize what has reached the end of its lifetime value and move on. Apple, Google, all of these um, stocks didn't exist when I first started in my investing journey. But now look at where they are. Amazon was a perfect example. So I think do your research, keep your eyes open, look at what's trending in lifestyle and, and what's going on around us because technology is becoming an increasing part of what we're doing. And we've seen that even with this COVID-19 work from home, Zoom. 
is a stock that just went through the roof. Yeah, there's plenty of examples of this that if you really think about it and think of how it's impacting your life and then go around and say, well, what is there a stock out there that can meet this demand? Mm. Great pieces of solid advice that we've certainly tried to instill on the show over the last number of years. So it's great to hear you share that as well. So Robert, we we very much appreciate your time today. If any of our listeners want to find out more, head to etoro.com and you can find out all the information that there is to to know about eToro and their offer. So as I said, appreciate your time and uh, we look forward to catching up in December to see if Tesla did hit $400. I was about to say that myself. I look forward to speak to you then. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on the, on the show. No Sounds worries. Good, Robert. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.